Tonight, we're going to be looking at Psalm 121. Psalm 121. So, if you would, turn up in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. I've titled our message tonight, Lord, I Need Your Help. Lord, I need your help. Everyone goes through seasons of life that are harder than others. And we all face challenges that will bring us to the end of ourselves and have us calling out to God for help. Some of you may be dealing with one thing right now, today, that has you doing just that, that has you at the end of your rope and you're looking to God in desperation, calling out for help, wondering what God is going to do, wondering when he's going to do it, when the situation is going to be resolved, how it's going to be resolved. There are a lot of unknowns about life, especially as we deal with situations that are troubling. Rarely are we told in advance when problems will come up. We're only able to see what is happening for us right now in this very moment. And even if we expect certain things to come and to happen, there are many uncertainties that we just cannot predict. What ends up adding to our stress is when we wait to go to God for help. And often it's for prideful reasons. We often leave God out of our problems until we feel that it is absolutely necessary for God to intervene. It's a prideful thing because we tell ourselves that we can handle whatever problem it is that we're dealing with only to eventually conclude that our version of handling it was only making the problem worse. Somehow our track record of making mountains out of molehills doesn't deter us from leaving God out of the, uh, of, of the problems and especially in the future when more problems arise. Whatever it is that you may be dealing with right now, whatever it is that may be right around the corner for you, God wants us to know that his help is available to us. We've all had times where we've stopped and we've said these words, Lord, I need your help. Most of the time, those words are said after we've exhausted all of our own effort, but my desire is that we would learn to say these words sooner that we would give our situation from the beginning completely over to him. It would be nice if God would give us a blueprint of the entire year, show us exactly how things are going to happen, specifically when they're going to happen. I mean, I feel like so many of us would be at ease knowing how that we're going to plan for certain things where God has said, okay, on May 1st, tomorrow, something is catastrophic is going to happen. You're going to have a car accident or whatever it may be. It'd be great to have that in in the advance, wouldn't it? No, right? We'd be miserable knowing that something is inevitably going to happen, and no matter what we try to do to avoid it, it is unavoidable. But we think that it'd be nice to be able to get a backstage view into God's grand scheme of the universe to help settle our minds so that we know all things are going to be worked out. But in reality, God is doing us a favor by not showing us what the future is going to show. Instead, God gives us vision to see only today, but offers to give us peace for the future as we trust in what he is presently doing in our lives. 
Faith is trusting in what we cannot see. And God has shown us that he is completely trustworthy for the future as much as he has been trustworthy for the past and even in the present. In one of Charles Schultz's Peanuts comics, Lucy said, Charlie Brown, life is like a deck chair. Some position the chair to see where they've been. Some position it to see where they are at the present. Well, Charlie Brown turned to her and responded in his typical, very melancholy way, Lucy, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. Some people are so out of sorts, they don't know if they should be looking back. They don't know if they should be looking at the present. They don't know if they should be looking ahead to the future. They don't know how to make sense of anything that is happening in their life. The world seems to be passing them by and they seem as if they're struggling to keep up. Whatever you have dealt with, uh, dealing with right now, maybe it's it's something that is uh, about to happen. Uh, But whether you have a a health crisis, whether it's financial trouble, whether it's relationship issues, or any number of problems that we may be dealing with today, God has proven himself faithful. He's proven himself trustworthy every single time, and he promises to be our help in all that we go through. But let me offer a disclaimer, though, as we begin. Just because God is available to help us, not everyone wants God's help. As I mentioned, many people allow pride to just push God out of the situation entirely. And rather than getting a solution to their problem, the matter, when we keep it to ourselves, is intensified. And still people will refuse to cry out to God for help. I've heard people say to me when I've pleaded for them, you need to ask God for help in this matter. They've come to me and said, you know, I got myself into this mess. And you know where I'm going. I'm going to get myself out. It's frustrating to hear that. Many people don't want God's help. But also, God's way of helping is not always the way that we expect. How many of you have prayed for God to do something and then he went ahead and did something different? And then you're looking at the situation, you're thinking, well, God, you know, that, that's great, but I don't know if you heard me because I was really asking for this and what you gave is that. Um, somewhere the, the wires got crossed in this line of communication because you didn't actually give me what I was asking for. A lot of times this happens where we have an anticipated way that God should help us and when we ask him for help, he does something completely different. God doesn't always do things that we expect and that's a good thing. Just because we think we're smart doesn't mean that we're smarter than God. Why trust in yourself when you can only see what's happening right now in this very instant and neglect the wisdom of the God who can see everything from beginning to the very end? One of my favorite books in the Bible is the small minor prophet of Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk, he, chapter 1, calls out to God for help. And he calls out to God for help for a good reason. All around him, he sees wickedness seemingly prosper. And he just can't understand how God would allow the wicked to go unpunished. How all of this would seem to just be escaping the judgment of God. And so he is calling out to God almost in frustration. God, when are you going to do something? 
How long are they going to go without being punished for their evil actions? He's frustrated because they're getting away with murder with no repercussions. No justice is being served. And evil seems to be celebrated. He is fed up and he's wondering when God is going to do something about it. If at all God is going to do anything. And then God tells him that he is going to send in the Chaldeans to punish Israel for all of their wickedness. And all of a sudden, Habakkuk objects. Uh, God, um, hold on a second. Don't you know that the Chaldeans are so much worse than we are? If anyone deserves to be punished here, it's them, not us. He cried out to God for help. God gave him a solution, but it wasn't the expected solution that Habakkuk anticipated. Now, Habakkuk would eventually acknowledge that he understands God knows what he is doing. But there was an initial objection to God's plan offering help. When you go to God for help, you are acknowledging that you cannot do things on your own and that your way wasn't working. Don't question God's methods if they're not lining up with your expectations. Trust that as the God of the universe, he actually knows a thing or two and how things should be going in order to work out the right way. We may not understand why our journey through this life is full of one problem after the next, but that is why God has given us his word. In Psalm 121, it shows us that God is always present in our lives often giving us what we never even asked for. The psalmist here is encouraged as he is reminded of God's power, of God's majesty. As he looks at a journey that lays before him, he is encouraged at how God has already shown himself all-powerful. He recognizes that whether it is a dark valley or a season of joy and of happiness, God can be trusted every step of the way. And the psalmist recognizes that God is not only the destination of his journey, but also the strength for every step of his journey. Many people don't cry out to God for help because they deem their problems too insignificant for God. Let me assure you that every problem is small for God. But that should never lead you to think that you are annoying God with something that he doesn't care about. Is the child annoying their parent when they cry to them about falling and scraping their knee? It's a small matter to the parent. But in the child's eyes, it's sometimes life or death. Even though it's that small matter, it's a big deal to the child, and the parent will clean it up, bandage it up right away. Whether it's a scraped knee, whether it's a a cancer diagnosis, all of it is small in the eyes of God because no matter how big the problem is to us, to the one who spoke the world into existence, there is no problem that he cannot overcome. And let me tell you something. God never gets tired of hearing from his children. God's never too busy watching the ball game. God's never too busy working on his computer. God is never too busy taking a nap. God is never too busy doing anything else where he doesn't enjoy hearing from one of his children and helping them in their hour of need, how big or small it may be to them. He's never too busy for any of us. The presence of trouble does not mean that God is absent. 
As we are pilgrims journeying through this land with, as believers, our eyes set on heaven, problems are sure to arise. The, the road is bound to be long and to be weary, but we must keep pressing forward. And fortunately, as we're seeing here in Psalm 121, God is our helper in this journey of life. So let's take a look at what the psalmist has to say here in these eight verses in Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I want you to notice, first of all, that help is always available. Help is always available. Psalm 121, in your Bibles, it probably says this under the heading, is a song of degrees, meaning that it was a song that was sung as the Jews would journey to Jerusalem. Some of your Bibles may, a song of ascent, say something of that nature. But the idea is the same thing. As they were journeying to Jerusalem, these different songs of degrees would be sung as they increased up the hill to Jerusalem and went on their way. As families, whatever they were traveling from, were traveling back to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs of degrees because Jerusalem sat on a hill. So wherever it is that you were coming from, if you were traveling to Jerusalem, you were always going up to Jerusalem. And it's interesting, whenever you, just about every time you read about Jerusalem, especially in the New Testament, you read that they, were, they went up to Jerusalem, regardless of whether or not they came from the north and coming south or from the south going north, they were always going up because in elevation, it was always up for the traveler. And so they would sing these, these songs of degrees as they're traveling up the hill going to Jerusalem. And the more onward they went, they would keep going on with these different songs that they would sing. The idea was that they were preparing themselves for the worship of God, which was at the temple there in Jerusalem. And as the psalmist prepares for his journey to Jerusalem, which is the idea that we see here at the beginning of the psalm, he recognizes that God's help is always present. There's something, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but again, it says in verse number one, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. There's something about being out in nature that helps get things into the right perspective. And that's, I think, what we're seeing here with the psalmist here in verse number one. Again, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. He's looking up into the hills, it says. Now, some of you might prefer, prefer more of an ocean view. I prefer valleys and mountains. Uh, we were driving back up um, into New York after Easter break, and some of the, the, the routes that you take, they're really beautiful when you can see the, the mountain peaks and, and the valleys uh, beneath them. It's really neat to see that. I prefer that view uh, more than ocean or beach or anything like that. My kids prefer the beach, but um, that's not me as much. And I enjoy that. To me, I can see such beauty in that. But either way, there is something calming 
about looking out upon God's creation and it's being able to see God's hand in everything. Maybe you enjoy seeing a, a sunset where it almost looks as if God took a paintbrush and just brushed it across the sky and the colors that are there are just awesome as you see shades of pink and orange and blue and, and just the, the beauty in, in all of that. But there's something calming about seeing God's handiwork in creation, seeing his hand in all of it. And as the hymn states, when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When you truly stop and just consider the majesty and the beauty of God in creation. It does cause your soul to sing in praise to him. You're forced to acknowledge that God has done something so magnificent in creating all of this, and he just spoke it into existence. He was so detailed in all of this creation that we have before us, and he's given it for our enjoyment. And as the psalmist was preparing for his journey, he looked up to the hills to remind himself of God's greatness and his power to sustain him through the challenges that lay ahead of his journey. Now, some people have been confused by suggesting that we can look for help from the hills or from the mountains, but that's not what, what verse 1 is saying here. Notice again what it says. It says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. Remember that this is a psalm of degrees. So you have to picture that they're, they're, they're starting their ascent up to Jerusalem and they're working up the hill uh, where, again, it was sung as, as they're making this climb. But the psalmist is turning his gaze upward to the city that is on a hill, Jerusalem itself specifically where God's presence dwelt in the temple, recognizing that his help came directly from God, specifically uh, there in the temple. And that's, what we, that's what we're told there in verse number two. Notice what it says. It says, my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. This is the foundation here, verse two, of the entire psalm, that we need to be looking to God for help. Help is not found in nature, it's not found in creation, it's not found in the mountains, it's not found in the valleys, it is found in the God of all of this. He is the one who is our help. Rather than looking to God, though, I think we spend far too much time looking within ourselves to try and solve life's problems. The psalmist encourages himself by reminding himself of who it is that he needs to be trusting in. He says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The Lord which made heaven and earth. It seems rather silly to ask, but how many of you know that God created the heavens and the earth. Show of hands. Every hand better go up. Seal, did you put your hand up? Okay. It would be mind-boggling to imagine God making heaven and earth, even if all the materials were around and available for him to do it. But God didn't just build everything. He created everything. God spoke, and the heavens and the earth existed. That is beyond our comprehension. Have any of you ever tried to speak something into existence? Why not? Rather than trying to fix a problem with your own two hands, have you ever tried to speak and fix a problem? Yes? 
Okay. But it doesn't work. Why can't we speak something into existence? Why can't we speak and have a matter solved just like that? Because we're not God. None of us can do it because we are not God. We are not the creator who is able to speak things into existence. We cannot do what God does. And this is nothing new for you. But he is the all-powerful God and we are not. This is something that we know that we almost jokingly raise our hands about. But at the same time, it's something that we lose sight of, isn't it? Every time you're worried, every time you're afraid, every time you're panicked or nervous or overwhelmed or discouraged and, and a whole host of other emotions, we've temporarily forgotten about the fact that the one who we trusted in for our eternal salvation is the same one who has created the heaven and the earth and is all-powerful to fix and to solve any problem that we're ever dealing with. You know that he's done all this. You know that it, all it took was for him to speak anything into existence, and yet we still go through seasons where we're afraid and panic and stressed, and you name it, we face it. Because in that moment, we're not thinking about the all-powerful God who can speak the world and anything into existence out of nothing. Is there any problem too big for God to fix? No. Is there any situation where God is unable to help you? No. Isaiah 59, verse 1, puts it this way. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. There are definitely times, and that chapter, Isaiah 59, will go on to say it, where God doesn't intervene because of sin that is in our lives, preventing us from having that relationship that we should have with God. But the point is that God is not limited in any capacity. God's hand doesn't shorten that it cannot reach us in our hour of need. God doesn't come to us one day after we pray and ask him for help and say, oh, I just wish you're just beyond my reach to help you. If you can just work yourself up a little bit, then I can carry you the rest of the way. He's never doing that. God can solve any problem. There is no problem that is beyond his reach. His arm is not short and that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now this seems like, like such a basic verse, one that we would maybe read over very quickly and not give too much thought. But there is so much wrapped up here in verse number two of Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. There's so much wrapped up, so much power here in, this, in these few words. He is going to explain in some detail what the power of, that, of the Lord looks like, but the psalmist begins by essentially stating that since God is the creator of all things, his power is never in question. Always be encouraged that you can run to God at all times. At all times. We've, we have the blessed privilege of not just coming to the God who cares, but the blessed privilege of coming to the God who can. That word can't is not in God's vocabulary. There are things that he won't do, but there's nothing that he cannot do. And even more than that, the Bible tells us that he is also the one who sustains all things. Listen to what we read in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Some people like to think that God doesn't care. 
or that God isn't involved in his creation. That God created everything and then just sent it off on its own and said, all right, fly, little, little birdie, take flight. As if God is some cosmic watchmaker who created this watch, made the heavens and the earth, wound it up, and just let it go, waiting for time to eventually expire and things to come to an end. That's not at all the case with God. For if God were to take away his, his hand from all that he has created, if he would just take his hand away for even a single moment, everything would fall apart immediately. Again, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. I'll read just verse 17. It says, For by him were all things created, and it says, And by him all things consist. God is as much a part of his creation today as he was when he first spoke everything into existence. He's not sitting back in heaven watching a well-oiled machine continue to function day after day after he created it over 6,000 years ago. He is still actively involved, sustaining every part of his creation every single moment of every day. You may be pressed into thinking that God is not aware of what you're dealing with and the problems that you're facing or the problems that you're about to face, but rest assured, God is actually holding you together right now. He is holding you together right now, even if you are too blind to see it. Many times we don't see the Lord because we're just not looking for him. And this is why the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. We spend far too much time looking within ourselves rather than looking up to God. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I don't even know what's waiting for you around the corner. But I do know that the Lord which made the heaven and the earth is the one who has promised to help you whenever you call out to him. Whatever problem you have that may seem insurmountable, just know that God is already aware of it and can solve it and bring you peace if you just continue to trust in him. It may be that God does not remove the problem. It may be that God doesn't remove you from the problem. But just rest assured that God is still with you and holding you together every step of the way. So keep looking to him and know that he is still your help from day to day, that his help is always available. But I want you to notice second, God's promise to believers. God's promise to believers. Look at verse number three. Verse number three, Psalm 121. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Now, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there was a change in pronouns that was used from verses one and two to verse three and following. Again, I'll read it in verse number three. It says, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Verses one and two are, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. Did you notice the shift? The psalmist starts by speaking about himself and then continues the rest of the psalm by offering encouragement to others. And the promise we have to believers here in verse number three is that of God's presence. As we previously mentioned, God is not only the creator of all things, but also the sustainer. And it's evidenced here in verse number three where it says, he that keepeth thee, he that keepeth thee will not slumber. God is the one who is keeping you. God is the one who's sustaining you. God is the means by which you continue to exist. One day when I was back in college, I was on my way to, er, to, to work very early in the morning. This was, 
Back during the days where I could stay up for like 48 hours at a time without sleeping, because I thought I was Superman. Often I would get to work at 4 a.m. and I'm parking the car in, my, in the parking lot and I think, I don't even remember driving over the bridge. I don't even remember making it here. Well, there was one morning I was driving to work early and I dozed off. And fortunately, I opened my eyes soon enough to see that I was off the road and I was headed right for a telephone pole. And I was noticed it soon enough that I could correct the car and corrected the steering and avoid crashing, but I vowed never to be that foolish again to think that I could just power my way through sleeping, not sleep, and just continue to go on energy that I didn't have. But I thought I was capable enough to stay awake, to keep the wheels straight, but I was not. Now, aren't you glad that the one who keeps you doesn't slumber? Aren't you glad that God never falls asleep at the wheel? Aren't you glad that God never accidentally sets you up on a collision course for disaster? Think about all the times that you cried out to God saying, Lord, I need your help. Little did you know that he was the one upholding you and keeping you all the day long. Jesus said in Matthew 10 verse 30, he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, if God has the very hairs of your head numbered, and some of us are making it easy for him, but if he has the very hairs of our head numbered, don't you think he cares so deeply for each of us? If he's that concerned about the hairs of our head. And notice what we read in verse number four. It says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, this seems to solidify and almost double down on the truth of verse number three. And think about what it means for God to never slumber or to never sleep. The one who keeps you never will slumber nor sleep. How many times have you stayed up into the early morning hours working on something, stressing about something, trying to fix something? Any of you done that? Not necessarily on purpose, but because you were busy working on something and you needed to get something done. Maybe there was a deadline or you just couldn't go to bed until this was done. Any of you ever done that? Where you're burning the midnight oil and it's just late and late and late. Some of you have probably done that very recently. But either, either way, we've all done that. We've all been there where we've stayed up so late to try and get something done. And at times like that, have you ever stopped to think that God is watching over you as you're toiling all the night and into the early morning hours trying to work something out or to fix a problem? Have you stopped to think about that? That while you're awake taking care of a problem, working on a paper, trying to finish something up to meet a deadline, God is also never slumbering, never sleeping, and watching over you as you're doing what you're doing. God doesn't take a coffee break. God doesn't go on vacation. God never clocks out. He never gets tired. When's the last time you thought about what God must be thinking as he's looking down upon you, worrying, stressed, overwhelmed, and discouraged? While you feel like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, God is the one that is actually watching over you. Many of us are so concerned with working for God without ever allowing God to work through us. You're fighting a losing battle if you think that you can do everything on your own. And honestly, why try? Why try to do everything on your own, especially when the God who spoke the world into existence is offering to help and to work through us? There's no need for both you and God 
to stay up all night. He's already promised to never slumber and to never sleep. So what I'm saying is trust God to be your help and get some sleep. Go to bed. Don't underestimate a good night's sleep. There have been times where I have been unable to sleep thinking about something that is coming up the next day or thinking about something that has just happened that day. And it is in those moments that we need to remember where our help comes from. Alexander the Great was once asked how he could sleep so soundly every night. And he responded by saying that his faithful guard, Parmenio, kept watch during the night so that he could rest soundly. If a general can sleep peacefully at night because a mere man is watching over him and keeping guard over him, how much more soundly should every single believer sleep knowing that our eternal God keeps watch over us? Regardless of what you have going on today, what may be even happening tomorrow, what may be happening next week or next month or next year, sleep well tonight knowing that your heavenly father is aware of everything that you're going through and he's already got it all figured out. He may never slumber nor sleep, but believe me, he wants you to sleep soundly. He wants you to sleep peacefully, knowing that he is always in control and he is always there to help you. The Lord watches over us and the Lord also protects us. Notice what we see in verses five and six. Psalm 121, verses five and six. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The psalmist feels great comfort knowing that God is watching over him, knowing that God is protecting him all throughout the day and all throughout the night. Not a moment passes where God is not aware of what every single one of us are going through. There is never a moment where God ever takes his eyes off of you. I can't tell you how many times I've looked to Ruthie and I said, where's Levi? You know, that this kid is only one year old, but he manages to scoot out of your field of vision in just a moment. You have your eyes on him and you look away for a moment, you turn back and he's gone. And he's getting into everything that he shouldn't be getting into. And I've, I've probably said this and maybe she said it to me so many times, where's Levi? And we're, we're quickly panicking, trying to find him and then we spot him in the corner doing something he shouldn't be doing. Mischievously, he's, he's always very mischievous. And he's so sneaky. And if you take your eyes off him for just one second, he's gonna try and get into something that he's not supposed to. God never asked that question. He's not looking down from heaven thinking, where's David? And there's probably a dozen Davids here who he's looking for. He never has to ask that. He never has to wonder as he's searching through a crowd of people where any of us are. Because he never takes his eyes off of any of us at any time. There's never a moment of panic as God frantically searches through the crowds of people trying to find where you specifically are. He is our keeper both day and night, the Bible says, but even more than just keeping us, God is protecting us. When the sun's heat is bearing down on us, when we, can, when, when we can't find shade, what we're told here is that God is our shade from the sun. God is the one protecting us. The right hand of the Lord protects and sustains each believer day and night. In the heat of the day, as they were journeying up to Jerusalem, God will provide safety, God will provide shade. In the terrors of night, God would never leave their side. Elijah likes to sleep with a nightlight on in his room. Isn't that right, buddy? Yes. And it has to be on a certain color in order for him to really fall asleep. The, the nightlight is a little globe, and you can push a little button, and it can change probably about half a dozen different colors. But if the nightlight is not on blue, he'll let us know. 
I've left his room, put him down, prayed with him, shut, shut the door, closed the, turned the light off, and walked down the hall only to hear him call out. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? We've done everything we need to do. I go back in, and he says, Daddy, it's on orange, it's not on blue. A light's a light, right? But it has to be on blue, or else he'll want, unless he won't fall asleep. It's interesting how darkness has a way of frightening people. Everything about the environment is the same. It's just less visible. And that alone leads to fear. When Ruthie and I bought our first home a little over 10 years ago, we had an interesting first couple of nights in that home. We were laying in bed sound asleep the very first night. We had, we had just moved in. Very first night we're there, we're laying in bed sound asleep, and then at two o'clock in the morning, the doorbell rang. Two o'clock in the morning. We moved from a house where our neighbors were so close that you could hear the telephone ringing next door and you could hear a wheel of fortune downstairs. And we moved from all of the noise of that city to a house that gave you some room to stretch out a little bit and it was eerily quiet in our new home. Eerily quiet. And then the doorbell rang at 2 a.m. Naturally, I went from being sound asleep to wide awake. I couldn't have been wider awake. And all of these things are going through my mind. I'm thinking, okay, I must be dreaming. No one rings a doorbell at 2 a.m. I'm imagining this. So I tried to go back to sleep, and then it rang again. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Now my mind is going and thinking about every scary movie I've ever seen. And about the horrors that are about to happen. And then Ruthie asked me to go and check and see what's going on. Now, at this point, we'd been married several years, so I didn't really have to impress her by making her think that I wasn't afraid of anything. And as she asked me to go check, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I'm good, why don't you go check? Now, I didn't say that. So I got up and I headed downstairs, fully thinking that this is my first and my last night in our new house, because we're either going to move the next day or I'm going to die. One of the two is going to happen. And as it turned out, there was something wrong with the doorbell. That was it. But I was terrified at opening the door, wondering what I'm going to be greeted by. I disconnected the doorbell, went back to bed, didn't sleep a single second the rest of that night. Because I'm just waiting for the doorbell to ring again, anticipating that that something dramatic is going to happen, regretting buying the house altogether, thinking we have to move and we're moving tomorrow. But it's amazing how much the night can affect us. But what a comfort to know that God is our keeper both day and night. And he never leaves us alone. The Lord also preserves us. Notice what it says in verses 7 and 8. It says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. He preserves us from evil, the Bible says. And think about the worst possible disaster that could happen to you. And as much as your mind right now may be conjuring up some crazy circumstance, nothing happens to you that is outside of the will of of God. Or nothing happens to you that is even beyond the control of God. Bad things are going to happen, but even those things that we view as bad all happen under God's supervision and have positive long-term purposes. The Lord also preserves our souls, the Bible says. No matter what may befall you here on earth, 
God is keeping every believer safely in the palm of his hand. God's children are eternally kept secure. So even if you breathe your last breath here on this earth, you open your eyes to behold your Savior. There may be all sorts of unknowns ahead of you, but one thing is certain. God eternally keeps those who have believed on him. And then when we see that the Lord preserves us every day as well, it says, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Life can fall into routines where we're going out and we're coming in, but God promises to preserve us through all of it. When I look at verse number eight, I see a God who cares about us more than what we realize. He cares about every little thing that we do, as mundane and as menial as some of the tasks we do are. He cares about it all. You may think that what you're doing in life is nothing special because no one takes notice of it. But God cares about your daily, routine, your daily routines. God is watching over you as you do laundry, as you cook that meal, as you wash those dishes, as you take care of those children, as you keep that home. God is watching over you as you go to work, as you're driving in your car, as you're sitting in front of your computer, as you're standing in front of a classroom full of children, as you're doing every little thing over the course of your day that has become so routine for you that you don't even think about it. God is watching over you every single moment. The Lord preserves us forever. God's care over us extends beyond the everyday routines to the eons of eternity. One author put it this way. He said, the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. Whatever it is that you may be going through today, whatever may lie ahead in your life, we can lift up our eyes to God and know that we have his help moment to moment, day by day, and for all eternity. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Though trials come and all have their purpose in God, nothing shall ever separate us from God who eternally loves us, eternally protects us, and eternally preserves us. Would you bow with me in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, we are thankful to come before the God who loves us more than what we can ever imagine. Lord, I'm thankful for this short psalm that expresses so much about who you are and how much you are indeed a help to those who call upon you. Lord, may our eyes be heavenward. May they be directed to you as the one Lord who sustains us, who keeps us, Lord, who preserves us. May we recognize the greatness of who you are to us in the past and trust in you for the future. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us as we struggle, Lord, to see and understand just how wonderful and majestic you really are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.